it's so good to be here. I really appreciate the invitation and thank you for the welcome. So let's hear the word of God. I'm going to ask Rosemary, my wife, if she would come and read. And I'm going to ask you, please, if you if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the word? The reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, starting at verse 3, going down to uh, verse 10, and then turning over to chapter 3, from verse 14, down to chapter 4, verse 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and increase Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The letter to Ephesians really has two halves. You can rather neatly divide it up. Chapters 1 to 3 and chapters 4 to 6. And if you've got a Bible either on your iPhone or whatever, uh, I would appreciate just having that word open before you. I want to focus in on chapter 3, those verses 14 through to the end. Uh, so 1 to 3. Well, in that first half, Paul opens up for us the wonder 
of what God in his grace through Jesus Christ has done for us and the whole universe. It's fabulous. I love that bit. And the NIV doesn't do it, but other translations do it. It's that opening verse, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Know that word. That wonderful word, blessed. Having opened that up, that wonderful panorama of grace, in the second half, he tells us how to walk in that grace. I urge you, he says, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be imitators of God. Chapter 5. As dearly loved children, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Ah, Paul, all right for you, but how can I be an imitator of God? You know where the week I've come from. That sounds like Jesus' impossible command, doesn't it? Coming at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Of course it's impossible. That's why Paul, in those, between those two halves, prays this wonderful prayer that comes at the end of chapter 3, 14 through to the end. It's a prayer to the one for whom all things are possible that we might truly experience what he's just described. And I would encourage you, when you go home today, to read that opening chapter along with the prayer that follows it there in chapter 1 and just ponder the wonders, the absolute wonders of what God has done for us in Christ. You see, we can so easily let these things trip off our tongue. We can so easily sing these things. We need to take time. And we need to allow that just to penetrate it deep into the soul. So Paul's, I've been meditating on this again, so you're going to get it. It might even be longer than Craig, wouldn't it? I really, afresh again, I've thought about this. I've thought about this several, several times. But I've been meditating on it this last few months and it's just blessed my soul. And I trust that it will bless yours. He begins, if you've got it there, he begins and ends with a really big God. And when I was reading it, I thought of a dear brother, Bob from Kiliman. And I remember, well, lots of things, but two things stood out to me as I looked at this prayer. The two things that I think about that stand out about Bobby, one was duck eggs. Duck eggs, yes, duck eggs. Bobby was forever trying to get duck eggs. And for some reason or other, duck eggs seemed to be difficult to get. And we used to tease the life out of Bobby. Bobby had a wonderful story. He had poliomyelitis when he was a child. And God in his wonderful grace touched him and healed him. He had a remarkable story, but a simple faith. 
He was a lovely brother. The second thing that I remember about Bobby, and it always rings in my soul, he used to pray, and often he would pray these words. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power such, none can ever ask too much. That's the God that we're coming to. That's the God that we address here. That's the God that Paul begins to pray for. He's a cosmic father. He says to us in this verse, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes his name. That's an amazing statement. The one who gives life and shape to every kind of family, earthly and heavenly. Someone described it, and I like this, we discover what it means to be father by looking at him. You got that, fathers? We discover what it means to be mother by looking at him. We discover what it means to be family by looking at how he relates to father, son, and spirit. He begins with a father who's cosmic. And he goes on and he says, who gives according to the riches of his glory. Note that word riches. When you're reading through Ephesians, have it in your mind. It's a wonderful word. Riches of grace, riches of inheritance, Riches of mercy, riches of Christ. Riches of his glory. Glory, the essence of God is inexhaustible. Hallelujah. The essence of God is inexhaustible. I still recall a letter. And in fact, I still have it. Early in my ministry, man in his mid-thirties who was dying from terminal cancer. And he finished his letter with these words, a song written by Annie Johnson Hunt. It's entitled, He Gave It More Grace. I'm sure some of you at least will know it. But the line, the verses that he did were, When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed or the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full beginning has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite treasures in Jesus, he giveth. And giveth and giveth again. Those weren't given by somebody who was praising the Lord in Hope Community Church on Sunday morning. Those were given by a young man, relatively speaking, who was dying 
That's where Paul begins his prayer. Isn't that a good place for us to begin when we think of the impossible? Take that opening line which Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven. When you say that, think of those words. From whom every family and in heaven and on earth is named. Out of the riches of his glory. He gives to us. Oh, I tell you, that's, that's just lovely. And that's where he ends it too. Comes to the end, he spells it out again in staggering terms. And we'll come to that in roughly about an hour. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Verse 20. All kneel before a big God. Now come to a prayer. Large petitions with the brain. For his grace and power such. None can ever ask too much. What were the problems that you came in with this morning? Too frightened to come to God? The nearest you get, maybe you come to church. But you still haven't surrendered to it. You think you can never make it. You think you're not good enough. This is the God that we have. And don't let anybody else tell you anything different. This is the God that is ours. None can ever ask too much. Little God, little prayers. What's he asking of the Father? Well, he says, I asked the Father that out of his glorious riches, now note that, keep that in your mind, out of his glorious riches, to strengthen you with power through his Spirit, in your inner person. Strengthened with power. Those preachers or otherwise who don't know Greek will know a bit of Greek in this day. You'll have heard it all. It's the word from which we get dynamite. You've heard that one, haven't you? Yes? It's the word from which we get dynamite. And that's what we need as individuals, is it not? power, strengthened in our inner person. That's what we need as a church. That's what you need as a church as you face the challenges of this area and the purposes of mission that you want to fulfill. Strengthened with power. I love this. Not just any power. It's the power of the third person of the Trinity. The one who at the beginning hovered over the darkness. The darkness of nothing and brought into existence the universe. You know those words, don't you? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And into existence came creation. The universe. That's the spirit. That's the spirit that Paul talks about here. The one who hovered over the womb of the Virgin Mary. 
and brought into being Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man, the second person of the Trinity. Remember the words of the angel to Mary? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the, of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Marvelous. That's the spirit that Paul prays that we will be strengthened with. And then the one, and here's the real kicker the Americans talk about, who now no longer hovers, but actually dwells within those who are redeemed by Jesus Christ. Do you not know, says Paul to the Corinthians, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Do you not know, says Paul to the Galatians, that God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. In our opening prayers this morning before the service, one sister prayed that. He referred to the daddy. That wonderful word that God has sent his spirit into our hearts that we can lift our hearts and we can say, Dear Father, dear Dad. It's just mind-blowing. We should be jumping up and down, it seems to me. I say to myself sometimes, Fletcher, have you got this? Let the spirit oh. It's lovely. It's, so where is the inner being, the person? It's the very center of ourselves. It's the place where even we ourselves have yet to explore and understand. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell at the center of our personalities, at the core of our being. That's where we need power. Really is. In the par in a parallel passage in Colossians, Paul earths that strengthened by the Spirit. And he says, if you want to look at it sometime, it's Colossians one verse eleven. He says, Strengthen with all power, so that you may have endurance and patience. Power to endure. That's about circumstances. Power to help us be patient. That's about people. Strengthen inner inner being in our circumstances. Strengthen in our inner being. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody was like me? We'd get on wonderful. You know what I mean. William Barclay gives it to us in real practical terms, and I quote him. He says, it's the power that we can so bear with people that their unpleasantness and maliciousness and cruelty 
will never drive us to bitterness. And that their unteachableness will never drive us to despair. That their folly will never drive us to irritation. And that their unloveliness will never alter our love. That's where the rubber hits the road, is it not? Here's someone struggling with the temptation to leave his wife for another woman. He needs power deep in his inner person to overcome the temptations that come in the world in which we live. Or there is a wife feeling neglected by her husband and finding the attention of another man a real temptation. She needs power deep in her inner person. Here's someone struggling with addiction. Alcohol. Pornography. Whatever. They need power in their inner being. There's someone weary with ministry. Feeling like giving up. Fed up. He, she needs power in their inner being to overcome. Or here's someone just worn down with the stresses and strains of life. They need power at the center of their being to see that through. And friends, if this is not biblical Christianity, then I don't know what is. This is what we need. This is what the world will see and say, yeah, I can see that working in that life. I can see that working in that church. You could go on and ask the Father out of his glorious riches, strengthen you with power in your inner person. Come, Holy Spirit. I ask the Father out of his glorious riches to have Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. Oh, that's lovely. Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. Now in one sense, heart is the equivalent to inner person that we've seen in the previous little bit. But in another sense, Heart goes beyond inner person. And I dare to say that Paul must have intended that here. Nothing like being arrogant. Think of inner person as the center of the real you. And heart as the control of that center. In the Bible, you will know that heart means more than just emotions or feelings. It involves the mind and the will. It's the place inside us that we gather, store, and sort out all the data and where we decide how to react or act in the light of it all. So Paul is really praying 
that the Father will grant that Christ himself will dwell at the controls of the center. Isn't that amazing? You know what I'm going to ask you. Is he at the controls? But look at again at that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Two words in the New Testament are used for dwell. We translate in English dwell. One means to leave as an alien away from home. The other means to settle down somewhere and to just be at home. You know what it is. It's the sort of thing that you go home and you just take the chair and you just sit down and you take off your shoes and you put your feet up and you just don't worry about the smell. You really settle down and be at home. You feel nervous? You really settle down. That's what he's saying. He's saying, dwell. Be at home. Be really at the center that Christ may dwell in your hearts. 1954, IVP, InterVarsity Fellowship, published a book entitled My, My Heart, Christ's Home. It began life as a sermon, but eventually its author, a man called Robert Munger, a Presbyterian minister, agreed to develop it into a book of form. At the last count, and you can still get it, it had sold over 10 million copies. In the book, Munger calls us to take Paul seriously and to view our lives as a house. He called us to own the fact that Jesus Christ comes to live in it, yes, not just as an honored guest, but as a permanent resident. Indeed, more than that, he is the master of the house. And Munger in that book, if you get it, you'll see it, imagines Christ being welcomed to his home. And he's showing Christ around the various rooms in the house. The study. The room of the mind is small, but important. And as he shows Christ around, he becomes embarrassed at some of the things that he's feeding his mind on. He goes to the dining room which is large. It's the room of appetites and desires. And he sets them down to the first meal. And it's a meal of success, of money, of academic uh, credibility and so on and so forth. Then he takes them to the living room. It's quiet and comfortable. There's a sofa and there's overstuffed chairs. There's an intimate atmosphere. Christ likes this room. And he says he will meet him each morning for fellowship. But it was thrilling at the beginning. 
gradually the pressures of life shorten the time. Munger visualizes him rushing out, no time, and the door is open in the living room, and Christ is there. But he's got so many other things to do. We don't have time for him. So many important things. Takes him to the workroom. The place of talents and skills that he had. And Christ asked him, What are you producing for your life for the kingdom of God? And he shows him two little trinket-like things. And again, there's the pain. And so it goes on. The challenge is to open up all the rooms of our house. Christ's controlling presence. If we are going to enjoy the riches of his grace, we must open the rooms. One of the most painful things, I think, when I think about church opening up itself, is I think of the book of Revelation. And you will know the seven letters to the churches. And you will know at the end of that was the church of Laodicea. And what to me is absolutely astounding is that Christ is knocking, not at the door of the sinner. He's knocking at the door of the church. Can I come in? Can I come in? And so we open ourselves in all of our business meetings and all of our purposes. We open up ourselves to the Lord of the church. That he might sit with us, not our will, not our domineering opinion, but his. I must move. I'm going to beat Craig. I ask the Father out of his glorious riches to have you rooted and grounded in love. So glad the team took up that theme this morning. Here's the amazing, mind-blowing thing. That love is the love of the Trinity. Now forget about all the complications that you think are involved with the Trinity. This is the love of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The love that is shared amongst them. Imagine yourself praying, Father, I want to be rooted and grounded in love that flows from your special relationship. You see, the natural consequence, or maybe I should say the supernatural, of the Spirit empowering and Christ controlling the center of our lives is to be rooted and grounded in that love. Indeed, that is what God intended from the very beginning before eternity. 
Paul mixes his metaphors here. One is bot botanical and the other is architecture. But both are a way of emphasizing depth as opposed to shallowness or superficial superficiality. That to have you rooted and grounded in love. You see, we all act or react out of the soil in which we live. Paul is asking that the love of the Trinity will be the soil of our lives. So he says in chapter 5, live a life of love. Now that's impossible in ourselves. You can't do it in your own strength. You cannot pull up your bootstraps and do it. It requires God's wonderful grace and power in your life and in mine. The building we are constructing of our lives is determined by the kind of foundation on which we build. And Paul says that the love of the Trinity be the foundation of our lives. Grow up unto him, he says in chapter 4. Grow up unto him so that the body of Christ will be what? Will build itself up in love. Deep roots firm foundations. Oh, Father, your servant Paul told us in Christ your love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Forbid it, Lord, that we should hinder our flow. May the soil and foundation of our lives be the pure, strong love of your Son and your Spirit that you share. I ask the Father out of his glorious riches to be empowered to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth Various translations do various things with that. But whatever else there is, I believe in the front of Paul's mind is that love. How can we mere mortals get our heads around this Trinitarian love? Someone put it like this. Breath. God's love is broad enough to encompass every tribe, tongue, and nation, broad enough to know and pursue billions of people on this planet Earth, even though they're running from it. Length, long enough to encompass all of time. God's love was there in eternity past, long before creation and we were created, long before we sinned. God's love will be there in eternity future, inexhaustible and ever richer. Depth, deep enough to make the downward journey. Remember Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, became one of us, real flesh and blood. He chose to take on our sin and to become sin for us. Does anybody want to follow? Do you remember that? He came right down right down deep enough to find me, deep enough to reach inside you and me and grab our rebellious hearts and bring us to himself.
And then there's the height. God's love is high enough. You can't reach over it. To lift us out of sin into his Trinitarian fellowship. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless free. Lifts me up to glory. Lifts me up to heaven. And yet Paul asks that we might grasp that love. Power to grasp that love. Don't resist. The word is actually comprehend. Same word that's used in John chapter 1 when the darkness did not comprehend it. It means more than taking possession of it. It means making it one's own. Our friends today, my prayer for you is that your heart will be swallowed by that love. That you really will take possession of that love. Because you see, all you need is love. Once that love, and it's shed abroad in our hearts, says Paul in Romans, by the Holy Spirit, that makes the difference. I can still hear Beverly Shea saying, could we with ink the ocean fill? Where the skies of parchment melt, where every stalk on earth a quill, and every person is scribed by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Hallelujah. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you're away, you feel you're away from God. You cannot, you cannot get beyond that love. And the Father says, Come. Surrender to me. Let me have you. He says to you as a Christian, I love you. Let me have the controls of your life. I ask the Father out of his glorious riches to grant you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now there's a good one, isn't it? You thought about that? How do you know what surpasses knowledge? No, it's not just an intellectual assent. It means to experience, to know personally, to experience what surpasses experience. We'll never be done knowing his love. There will always be more to know. How can we know in this sense? Paul asked the Father to make it happen. He asked the Father to make it happen. So we open up to the Father. And allow him to work through the indwelling Son and empowering Spirit. And we allow him to overcome the obstacles in our lives. Lastly, just about beaten. I ask the Father out of his glorious riches to grant you to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Paul, you've lost your mind. Filled up with the fullness of God. Paul, you're praying that we, broken, frightened, sinful, anxious, empty human beings, be filled with the fullness of God? Impossible. Colossians again throws light on that statement. Paul there writes in chapter 2, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Get this? And you have come to fullness in him. So as we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, we therefore partake of that fullness with the Spirit's strengthening power in our inner person and Christ making his home in our hearts. We are being filled with the fullness of God. And Ephesians, I want to suggest, evidences that that's the process of a lifetime. Sometime look, again at chapter 1, and in verse 23 of chapter 1, Paul calls the church, he's praying for the church, and he calls the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Yet in 4.13, the church is to exercise the gifts of the Spirit so that they can grow into that fullness. Then in 4.30, he warns about grieving the Spirit. So in 5.18, he says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. So you see, it's a process. Back to the house image. As we open up our lives, he fills us. Thus we were created. Our friends, this is an amazing thing. God draws near to us to draw us near to himself. Do you hear that? God draws near to us to draw us near to himself. Putting us within the fellowship of the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You say, where do you get that? I suppose for 20 and more years, I have been thrilled and trying to come to terms with a verse in John 14. We all know 14. Let not your heart be troubled. We don't know so often some of the other verses. Let me read you this verse. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word. And my father will love them. Now listen to this. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Friends, that's amazing. We will come to them and make our home with them. 
prayer of humble access and the communion order of service. I guess not many think of that verse then. But it says this, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. As a former Archbishop of Canterbury put it, his mind, our mind, his will, our will, his peace, our peace, his joy, our peace, our joy. I just think that's so fantastic and so impossible. And yet God's word declares it. You see, that's what makes the difference. That's what it's all about. God's presence in your world, in my world, and those worlds might see and know that God is real. Not just by what I say, but because they recognize that there's something more in that life than what they say. That's what it's all about, his presence in this fellowship. It's not about the form of worship, important as that is, the quality. It's not about how good the preacher is, and he is. Not this one I'm talking about. That's important, but it's not about that. It's not about the building, as important as that is. First and foremost, it's about his presence. And friends, the world can spot it, even though they don't want it, and even though they didn't become antagonistic to it. They can spot the presence of God. Read the Gospels and you'll know that. That the world wants that presence. It's about presence. God, it's so about presence. Paul finishes his prayer where he began. Now to him who is able, the Father, the big God, able, able to do what? Able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And that's right. To his power that is at work, Within us. Here's my challenge as I finish. Think of what God might do in you and through you. You as an individual. Would you dare to pray this prayer? You as a church, as a leadership, and as a church, think what God might do in you and through you. Would you dare to pray this prayer? Then think, God is able to double that, treble that, going far beyond that, that when you look back, you will wonder why you've been so faithless.
that you allow Methodist to finish with the prayer of Wesley. Come, O oh my God, yourself reveal. Fill all this mighty void. You only can my spirit fill. Come, O oh my God, my God. Let's pause in prayer.